Is President Bush as committed to spreading democracy as he is to his faith? White House correspondent and best-selling author Bill Salmon explains why he thinks Mr. Bush is an evangelical president in more ways than one. Also, should private companies be providing security in Iraq? And we'll ask for your impressions of today's See You at the Poll. This is Jerry Johnson Live from Criswell College. Join us as we look at today's news from the Christian worldview for Christ and culture. Mr. Gorbachev, tear down this wall. That's one small step for man, one giant leap for mankind. December 7th, 1941, a date which will live in infamy. I have a dream. It depends upon what the meaning of the word is. And the people who knock these buildings down will hear all of us soon. We will not tire, we will not falter, and we will not fail. Welcome to Jerry Johnson Live. For the next hour, this is your place for relevant discussion of topics in the news and in our culture from a Christian perspective. Later in the show, we'll open the toll-free lines for your questions and comments. You may also email us at talk at jerryjohnsonlive.com. Now, here is Penna Dexter. It's not a political rally. We're not out there demonstrating, picketing with signs. We're not trying to get prayer back into school. It's about seeing the world change one person at a time. That is Mark Hall, lead singer of Casting Crowns, uh, talking about the purpose of See You at the Pole. Uh, The music you're hearing right now is the worship that took place today at Burleson High School, where 200, actually 300 students gathered around the flagpole. Burleson High School is where See You at the Pole started 17 years ago when a group of teenagers uh, assembled around the flagpole to go to three schools. They prayed uh, again around those campuses' flagpoles. That was in April of 1990. Then on September 12th of that year, 45,000 students at 1,200 high schools in four states followed the Burleson example. Then word of mouth took over. Uh, It spread mostly in the same way that the word of Jesus first spread. And uh, it's grown since then. Over 2 million students prayed last year. We don't know the numbers from this year. We would love to hear from you if you have any experiences from today. Our number is 800-881-9270. At Burleson High School today, one student, Martin Herrera, at CU at the Pole, talking about the importance of praying for God to be on the campus. Bring in the presence of God and just pray over this place and play on these grounds and stuff. And uh, the verse, the scripture for this year was John seventeen twenty three, in which Jesus prays that those who uh, follow him will by their actions make him known. Here's another student at Burleson, Rochelle, Ontario, talking about this emphasis this year on that campus. This year, seeing on the poll was definitely emphasizing unity among the Christians here at BHS. In the past, it has been more about your individual um, walk with Christ. This year, it's definitely about us as Christians in the school coming together and making a difference as a collective group. Again, in line with that scripture, John seventeen twenty three, I am in them and you are in me. 
May they uh, com- be completely one, so the world may know you have sent me and have loved them as you have loved me. What a beautiful thought as students gather, especially in the public schools where their unity can be a witness to others. Uh, Burleson High School student again, uh, Logan, his name is uh, first name is Logan. He said see you at the poll is important for him as a way of sharing his testimony with fellow students. Well, it was important because God had called me to do this. I mean, God calls me to evangelism. And we would love to hear from you. Did you lo- did you drop off one of your children at CU at the poll today? What did you see? How many students were there? Were you happy? Were you disappointed in the turnout? Perhaps you're a student and you participated today. Again, give us a call. The number is 800-881-9270. Mark Hall, lead singer for Casting Crowns, Christian singing group, is very involved with CU at the poll. Here's why he's involved. I've been a youth pastor for about 13 years, and I have seen God use students and leaders in youth groups to be a part of an outreach in the school, as well as a prayer event where students all over the world agree together to lift up their schools, their countries, their leaders, and their friends in prayer. You might wonder, is this legal? Yes, it is legal. This is student-led prayer. Teachers have nothing to do with it. Mark Hall of Casting Crown says, see you at the poll is the day for Christian students to step out and proclaim their faith. The coolest thing about See at the Pole is the fact that it's student-initiated, it's student-organized, and it's student-led. David Overstreet is one of the national organizers of See at the Pole, and he says the event was observed last year at more than 50,000 schools. This will be our 17th year. It started with just a handful of students, and from that beginning uh, and through word of mouth, See at the Pole last year had over 2 million students participating in it. Dr. Richard Land of the Southern Baptist Ethics and Religious Liberty Commission says flagpole prayer could actually be the start of something greater revival across the country. We are taking your calls. Did you go this morning? Did you, uh, do you have a reaction? Are you a student who actually participated? Again, the number is 800-881-9270. Let's go to Victoria in Plano. Hi, Victoria. Did you go to one of the schools today? I actually um, saw my students participating in... Um the event this morning as I was driving in. I work at a middle school out in Plano, and it was just an absolutely incredible um, thing to see young people, you know, gathering to just say thank you, you know, to the Lord. It was absolutely incredible. Victoria, what can you tell me what middle school and about how many kids you saw there? There are about 50 uh, students at Hendrick Middle School, and that's 6th, 7th, and 8th grade students. And again, you know, just there's so many choices that they have out there today. And to see those students taking the time out to participating in something of this magnitude, again, it just it's just a testament, you know, to, to what God is doing in everyone's lives, I think. Well, it's wonderful. And, you know, these kids have to get there early. So thanks for that re- report, uh, Victoria. Sounds like Victoria works there either as a teacher or employed in some other way. And uh, she observed these 50 students around the flagpole. Let's go to Judy in Boyce. Judy, thanks for calling. Thank you. Listen, we had a great turnout today in Boyd, Texas. We had uh, over 80 students turn out at the polls to pray. And what was even more exciting was uh, we've gone to the website and see you at the poll and took their suggestion of inviting parents to precede today's prayer with a time of prayer at the school on Sunday, and we had over 80 parents show up to walk the halls and pray for our school, which we know made a big difference in our prayer time today. 
They laid the groundwork. Judy, what uh, what age were these kids that you observed today? High school. Great. We were at high school, at Boyd High School, and um, there are approximately 400 kids in our high school. So we had over a fourth of the, of the student body show up for prayer. Did you hear what the kids were praying about? Yes. Overwhelmingly, the, the kids asked for protection for our men and women that are serving our country in the military. It was amazing to me. What yeah, a what, That's a wonderful testimony. That's a great prayer. Some of these kids, of course, will probably be going on to serve our country in some capacity in the military once they graduate, won't they? Yes, they will. And they were sharing uh, uh, prayers for the concern for their, their fellow classmates, those who were affected with drug and alcohol-related issues, and just really, uh, you could just feel the depth of their concern. And, and the cry of their hearts was, was reaching out to others. Judy, thanks for the report. We've got lots of reporters here on Jerry Johnson Live today. Another one is Deandra in Fort Worth. Hi, Deandra. Thank you for Hi. calling. Thank you. How are you doing? Great. Uh, you were in Fort Worth. Uh, did you drop off a child or participate in some way? Well, yes, I did. Um, actually, my daughter goes to Live in Water Day School, which is in Burleson, Texas. And it's actually a private school, but it's for two years old all the way to four. And so they were outside around 1130. Oh, the little kids were out there praying? Yeah. Their teachers were out there praying with them, and I thought that was so great. If I would have known that they were going to be doing that, I would have definitely taken off work, you know, for that time and set that aside to go out there and pray with them. But I called up there just to check on her, and she said, well, I'm at 1130. They're going to go pray around the pole, and I thought that was so awesome. So you've got a little one uh, that was out there praying also, or did you miss it? I missed it, but she was out there. She's four. Okay. Her class was out there, and her teacher was out there praying with them. So I'm going to ask her today when I pick her up, how was it? But I'm just excited that, you know, little kids can also, you know, be a part of something so great. Sure. Well, that's great. Thanks, Deandra. All kinds of kids, middle school, high school, and even the little preschoolers praying around the flagpole today for See You at the Pole. Let's go to Jan in Athens. Hi, Jan. Thanks for calling. Hi. What uh, did you see today? I was really impressed. With our kids here, we're a small rural town, and I'd say we probably had almost three hundred kids show up. You're kidding! Was this a high school? Yeah, yeah, it's a high school here in town, but we didn't just have high schools. I mean, the high schoolers had brought their younger siblings. They had them all out there. Oh, that is just and, awesome! And they were all praying, and they prayed for our military guys because we just. We just brought one home and buried it. You did? Yeah. So that's that so probably it, was the impetus for this huge turnout. Oh, yeah. It was. I mean, we had, and I've heard from the other schools that are in this small area around here, the small rural areas, and they all have. And we have a good turnout every year with this, but it was just so good to see and even all our teachers showed up mm-hmm. and of course the teachers can't plan this but they can certainly no, they participate it, they're allowed to show up jan and, thank you so much for your report and uh you know to know that the students here are thinking of those serving us over there uh, it's inspiring let's go now to abby in saginaw abby thanks for calling oh thank you um i I am actually a student. How old are you, Abby? What grade? 
I am in fourth grade. I'm nine. Okay. And did you go to see you at the poll today? Yes. Me, my sister, and three friends. And all four of you prayed around the flagpole at your school? Abby, that's wonderful. We're so glad to hear that you did that. And uh, give me give me your top prayer request that you had today. Um, I was just trying to bless some people in my school, and I was praying for one little boy. His name is Jordan. He broke his arm in three places yesterday while on the playground. Oh, my goodness. Well, that's great. You were playing for, uh, praying for your fellow student. Another call from Rob in Corsicana. Rob, did you participate and see you at the poll today? Uh, no, but I, I did uh, get to see some of it and, and got some reports on it. Um, uh, in Cors- what, what school were you at? The high school. Corsicana High School. So tell me about it. Well... Uh, there wasn't a really good, a very good participation. I think they only had about 50 students that showed up. And the other thing is, um, that's really disheartening is that they didn't, they didn't go to the campus. They stayed at a church across the street from it and prayed. Okay. And and prayer is good. Yeah. But, uh, I wish they'd shown a little bit more boldness in their faith and well, the idea of see you at the pole is to pray at this at the campus around the yeah. flagpole. So I can understand your concern, but uh, they got together and prayed, and that's, that's a good thing. Exactly and fifty right. students that's, is that's also a, a step in the right direction. Thank you so much for your call and everybody that called in today. It was great to get these reports, to hear that this is going on all over uh, North Texas and the Metroplex and really throughout our listening audience, uh, the four stations in the Criswell Network. We appreciate your participating in this way and also uh, just the fact that many of you did participate and see you at the poll. I do want to uh, mention that later in the program, we're going to talk about a couple of things. One is this uh, news report about a well-known U.S. security firm called Blackwater USA. It's under fire right now because witnesses say that some contractors opened fire on unarmed citizens in Iraq, Iraqi citizens, on Sunday, killing 11. So we're going to kind of talk about that. Uh, They were guarding a convoy. The company Blackwater says that it was under attack, and uh, that's why this happened. So we're going to talk about this story and ask a security expert uh, whether these private companies should be providing such security. Also, later in the program... We're going to ask our guest the question, why is President Bush quietly advising Hillary Clinton, urging her to uh, moderate her rhetoric on the Iraq war? We're going to ask journalist Bill Salmon. He's a White House correspondent, and he has a new book out, The Evangelical President. How does the president's faith inform his presidency? We'll talk about that later in the program. Stay with us. If you're looking for a college experience that is distinctively Christian, come to Criswell College. Contact us today for information about the upcoming term. Criswell College places a strong emphasis on the Word of God, a Christian worldview, and being an effective witness to a world that needs Jesus Christ. Criswell College is totally committed to the Bible as the authoritative, inspired, and inerrant Word of God to ensure that every student receives a solid biblical and doctrinal foundation. 
Our worldview approach to ministry prepares every Criswell College student to view each academic discipline through a Christian frame of reference and to engage our culture and the world of ideas from a Christian perspective. Along with this word and worldview emphasis, each Criswell College student gets hands-on ministry training in missions and evangelism to be an effective witness through mission trips at home and abroad. Contact Criswell College today for information about the upcoming term. Call 1-800-899-0012 or on the web go to criswell.edu. That's criswell.edu. You're listening to Jerry Johnson Live. Now here's Penna Dexter. My concern is whether there has been sufficient accountability and oversight uh, in the region over uh, the activities of these security uh, companies. That's Defense Secretary Robert Gates. He is speaking before a Senate Appropriations Committee today. He's asking for funding to provide U.S. military leaders in Iraq with the resources they need to be able to keep a watch over these private security contractors like Blackwater USA, which has been in the news. Now, they fall under the auspices of the State Department, but the Defense Department uh, Department is also getting involved with this. We're going to talk about the whole story with our next guest. But first, let's tell the story of uh, what's going on as best we can before we bring our guest in. And uh, let's go to this report. Blackwater is under State Department command, but the Pentagon does have some 7,300 contractors in Iraq, and spokesman Jeff Morrell says Gates is concerned about the military's relationship with them. He's asked some early questions. He's received some early answers. Um... Those answers, at least when it comes to the oversight component, have not been satisfactory. Gates sent a team to Iraq this week to meet with top generals. The Pentagon has also reminded commanders of the authority they already have to make sure contractors are following U.S. rules. Sagar Megani at the Pentagon. Taking us a little further in this story, uh, the Pentagon press secretary that we mentioned before, Jeff Morrell, says that uh, Secretary Gates isn't satisfied with what he's heard about the Pentagon's handling of these contractors in Iraq. He does have some concern about accountability and oversight. And we've got to ask the question, why can't our troops do this? I mean, we have 150,000 troops. Why do we need these private security guys? An Iraqi civilian spokesman speaking through an interpreter told reporters that Blackwater USA's exit would have some great effect. In fact, it would require pulling some troops off the battlefield for security duty. If this company left, it, it will leave a, a, a security vacuum because most, most of the embassies and the foreign companies and, and institutes that work in Iraq, they rely on uh, members in the security company. With me to discuss all of this is Andrew John Garfield. He is Senior Policy Advisor to the U.K. Ministry of Defense. He's also a founding partner, or, uh, partner of Glebum Associates. And Andrew, thank you for joining me. Uh, good, good afternoon. Andrew, as we look at this situation, I guess the first question that I have is, what is the role of private security forces? Why are they needed when we have so many troops in Iraq? Well, to answer the second question first, uh, they're needed because there are insufficient numbers of troops there. Um, a great many functions that in previous wars would have been carried out by troops, anything from logistics and running a uh, dining facility right the way through to providing security for embassy officials is now done by security tr- uh, security guards in order to free up soldiers to serve on the battlefield. This uh, one so company, Blackwater USA, we s- we've heard a few reports of a few problems with them. Can you give us your take on that? 
I think um, both the security companies and the U.S. military has had a lot of problems in Iraq in the first three years and come into terms with uh, the type of war that we're engaged there, which is a counterinsurgency. But both those, the security firms and the army have matured over the last 18 months and are trying to take uh, much greater steps to minimize the amount of force they use in order to win over the local population, which is the key to success in this type of war. Uh, but they kind of took a step back on Sunday when 11 civilians were killed, didn't they? Well, we still don't know all the facts here, and I'm, I'm very worried about the way we responded to this event. I mean, it may turn out that there was a problem, but equally, the first reports I heard on the media were based on eyewitness reports who are notoriously unreliable, especially in something as dangerous as, as a firefight or an ambush. Uh, we were relying on Interior Ministry reporting, and that ministry is riddled with corruption. Um, its police have become uh, been uh, implicated in death squads, and it's influenced by the Shia militias. So we 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 don't know the facts behind it. So I think it's too early to say that the Blackwater was entirely or at all to blame for what happened. My guest is Andrew John Garfield, and he is a senior policy advisor to the UK Ministry of Defence. He's an expert on security, and um, so. Can you uh, basically, Andrew, just kind of give us some inside information because we've got people saying these guys stepped over the line, these Blackwater contractors. We have others saying that if we investigate too deeply, we're going to give away information that the public shouldn't know. We have the State Department looking at it and we have the Congress looking at it. So are we are we following the correct steps in a situation like this? Um, I, I think we've made a lot of missteps, and I'm probably, and quite possibly, the, the only one that didn't might have been the Blackwater Guards. Um, when you're escorting a high-value target to the enemy, like a State Department official, there's a very real danger that you're going to be ambushed, and the ambushes are going to take place in an urban environment. Most of the people who will be firing the weapons at you are going to be dressed as either civilians or police. And even if you take an aim shot and hit one of them, the weapon will be taken away and immediately they'll become an innocent civilian. And even a well-trained security guard or a soldier can hit a civilian accidentally. Indeed, that's what the enemy want. They want to provoke such situations. So one can see why something like this could have happened. But the bigger problem is the way we responded. What we allowed to happen was an, informa- an information vacuum to happen. We said the matter was under investigation. We took, we've taken too long to say what happened. And in that vacuum, it's been filled with gossip, theories, um, eyewitness reports, which are not necessarily accurate. Um, well, Andrew, what about this concern that uh, the, an investigation and sort of an information dump on this would give away certain, I don't know, strategic information that the public shouldn't shouldn't be surprised of? Uh, I, I wouldn't of. Is that agree with that. I think that saying as what we knew happened there as quickly as possible is important to stop it, the, uh, the information agenda being dominated by someone who's, who has a malicious intent. If we discover subsequently we made an error in what we say happened uh, within a few hours, then we can always retract it, we can apologize, we can tell what really happened. But saying nothing, leaving the, uh, the, the, uh, the whole debate open to whomever wants to manipulate it, hands a propaganda victory to our enemy. Whether Blackwater did or did not do something, they've been tried in, in uh, the public court now by the media, by even some congressmen, whether or not 
something good or bad happened, no one's going to believe it anyway now because of the way things have been allowed mm-hmm. to develop. Too late. Uh, well, do they serve a purpose still then? Have they overstayed their welcome since uh, really this information well, got out so quickly? Unless we're willing to send thousands more troops, including and this mission is not something can always can be carried out by regular troops. It would be normally carried out by special forces whom we just have insufficient numbers of. Then we need them there. They need to be continuing to do these types of functions. Uh, um, thank you so much for looking at who controls them. We appreciate your uh, kind of giving us a take on this because sometimes uh, these news reports are hard to understand, hard to figure out what you really think. And so we appreciate uh, your joining us today, Andrew. You're very welcome. Okay, ladies and gentlemen, uh, if you've got an opinion on these security firms, uh, we'd love to hear from you, 800-881-9270. I noticed something else that I thought was interesting, and you might want to weigh in on this, too. Rudy Giuliani, who right now is the uh, front-runner Republican uh, for the nomination for President of the United States, of course, he's speaking everywhere that he can. He's doing well in the polls, uh, but he does some strange things once in a while, and this one I thought was a little bit strange. Uh, He was speaking, apparently, uh, to the National Rifle Association over the weekend, last Friday, and he got a phone call. His cell phone rang, which is kind of strange that it wouldn't have been muted, but he he actually answered it in the middle of his speech, and uh, he carried on a, a conversation with the caller. It turned out to be Mrs. Giuliani saying, I love you, saying, have a safe trip, uh, blah, blah, blah. And uh, people are watching this on C-SPAN. And, of course, he's speaking before the NRA, kind of wondering what this is all about. It turns out he does this every once in a while. There was another event in Oklahoma. He took two calls. At least one of them was from his wife. They chatted for several minutes while the audience waited. And uh, then, you know, other people are thinking, well, well, my goodness, maybe she's uh, a little more influential than we thought. And after all, at one time he said she'd be part of the cabinet. But it's just very interesting that Rudy Giuliani is taking phone calls when he's supposed to be talking to an audience. Do you think that's weird? Give me a call, 800-881-9270. Also, on the presidential front, there will be a debate tonight at Dartmouth among the presidential Democrat candidates. And some people are saying that Hillary may ultimately hurt the Democrats. Uh, There's a new piece out. Let me see if I can find it. Oh, it's from... um, It's out of the U.K. from The Telegraph, and it says Hillary Clinton could cost Democrats dear. There's a new poll. It was actually leaked, suggesting that even though she's the front runner, she has such a polarized image that even though Democrats win in polls uh, across the country, when you put names on these polls and you put Hillary's name there, Rudy Giuliani actually beats her. Uh, all the party preference polls show the Democrats are much more popular right now than Republicans. But uh, Rudy Giuliani is actually beating Hillary 49 percent to 39 percent in the swing districts. Uh, and so that sort of confirms uh, what some people are saying, even in the Bush administration, that she's got high negatives and that she can be beat by a Republican. Let's take a quick call here. Angie is in Midlothian. Hi, Angie. Thanks for calling. Hi, thank you for taking my call. Um, I just have a comment on the um, Blackwater investigation. Yes. And I'm in the reserves, and I was talking to a young man who just came back from Iraq earlier this year, Iraq, and he said that civilians all over the place were um, making attacks on them in trucks. And so my, my question is, is, why can we not defend ourselves? If Blackwater is defending themselves, 
why is why is that such a terrible thing? Why are they doing something wrong? I think when the facts come out, if they come out to say that uh, this convoy they were protecting was indeed at risk and uh, that it was being attacked, then they have the absolute right to defend themselves in whatever way that uh, they need to do so. Angie, thank you so much for your call. Also, thank you for your service. Well, next up, uh, we are going to talk with Bill Salmon. He's written a book called The Evangelical President, and uh, he says President Bush is evangelical not only in regard to his faith, but also his mission in spreading democracy and freedom throughout the world. We're going to talk with Bill Salmon. Stay with us. listening to Jerry Johnson Live. Now here's Penna Dexter. A prayerful nation is a strong nation. A prayerful nation is a nation the true strength of which lies in the hearts of the men and women of our nation. That's President Bush speaking at a Washington prayer breakfast about prayer and uh, many of us understand that he is a believer that he loves the Lord Jesus Christ. He said so. And our next guest says that the Bush presidency could be one of the most important presidencies in modern times. We're going to ask him why. He says President Bush took the high road while the media took a different path in assessing this president. Our guest is Bill Salmon. He has interviewed President Bush more than any other president, and he's written several books sort of taking a stock of certain periods of the Bush presidency. He wrote the book At Any Cost in 2001, Fighting Back in 2002, Misunderestimated in 2004, Strategery in 2006, a new book out, The Evangelical President, George Bush's Struggle to Spread a Moral Democracy Throughout the World, Bill Salmon, Senior White House Correspondent for the Washington Examiner, political analyst for Fox News Channel, uh, now best-selling author. Bill, thank you so much for joining us today. Well, thanks for having me. You know, uh, we've said earlier in the program that uh, you contend, and tell me if I'm right, that President Bush is an evangelical president in more ways than one. Is that true? Yes, I do, and it's sort of the thesis of the book. And when I sat down in the Oval Office with the president to, uh, to, to do an interview with him, the first thing I said was, you know, Obviously, the name of the book is The Evangelical President. He said, well, meaning what? And I said, well, I, I said it has two meanings in this case. I mean, obviously, in the first meaning would be the, your evangelical you know, Christianity. But I also think that there is a, a secular meaning to it in Bush's case. In other words, it's possible to be evangelical or passionate or even zealous about you know, uh, things like the rightness of your policies. And I do believe that President Bush has a sort of an un- unshakable conviction in, in the rightness and, dare, dare I say, the righteousness of his policies in terms of the war in Iraq and the, and the broader war against terrorism and the, and the uh, quest to democratize the Middle East. And so, uh, you know, he, he accepted my, uh, you know, my little analysis there. But later, it was interesting, when I asked him, Later in the interview, I asked him, you know, do you call yourself evangelical? Do you call yourself born again? And he shied away from using those labels. He said, well, in my business and politics, as soon as I start, you know, throwing those labels around, my opponents will twist them against me. They'll load them up with all sorts of baggage uh, that will obscure my relationship with God. And therefore, I choose not to use those labels. But clearly, he was allowing me and others. uh, He has no problem with other people calling him evangelical. 
I guess uh, it has to do with, uh, do you have a basic time where you can say you had a conversion experience? Did you come to this through your family? Uh, is this part of your heritage? I mean, there are all kinds of people who support President Bush and love him and share his faith who have sort of different ways of thinking about this, and he probably didn't want to uh, take the side of one or the other. Well, and you raise a good point when you talk about, for example, the conversion experience, which is sort of a, a, obviously a hallmark of, of, of the evangelical experience. Um, and certainly in, in that regard, Bush qualifies. I mean, he had the, in the mid-'80s, as is well known, you know, he had a, 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 a significant encounter with the Reverend Billy Graham that really got him thinking about how he was spending his life. And then a year later he quit drinking and he started looking at the Bible and so on and so forth. And so I think that that was that amounted to his conversion experience. It was interesting. One of the things he told me, we talked quite a bit about his religion, was that you know he says, you know, Bill, you know, people think that I'm I've arrived at some you know religious place and I'm you know a religious president. And he says it's a journey. It's it's a it's a walk. He says there are there are moments in my life when when I I rejected prayer and I rejected the the notion that I needed to rely on something larger than myself. And I'm still seeking, uh, you know, forgiveness uh, for for those uh, for those moments. And so he he spoke in the present tense, as if you know this is an ongoing thing. And I thought that was quite striking. He said, "It's a, it's a journey to be completed only upon my death." My guest is Bill Salmon. His new book, "The Evangelical President," and Bill, you've talked about the other side of his evangelical personality, and that is to bring freedom democracy uh, to certain areas of the uh, the world. Now, when he uh, began his presidency, he was not a nation builder. He was looking at domestic policy. 9-11 happened, and uh, I think, in, in a sense, everything changed. Would you say that uh, this desire to spread democracy was already there before 9-11, or did it grow out of the terrorist attacks? I think it's definitely the latter, because you're right. He, he didn't have any intention of, uh, of 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 taking some sort of a preemptive foreign policy where he's, you know, very forward leaning and going around and, for example, in Iraq where you know it, it launching a military action against a country that, you know, to be perfectly honest, hadn't really done anything to us or its neighbors at least in recent years. So that was not where his head was at, and 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 obviously you know people criticize him for. Well, he said, he, you know, you campaigned that he didn't want to be a nation builder, et cetera, and well, he did it. You know, well, he's got a pretty good excuse. I mean, 9-11 is a pretty good reason to change your tune on one of your policies. And I think it really did, you know, it raised the stakes. It defined his presidency. And he looked at this and said, look, 3,000 Americans just died on my watch as I'm the commander-in-chief. I'm going to make sure, to the best of my abilities, that doesn't happen again. And the best way that he sees towards making that happen is to adopt the foreign policies that he has. And the country was united in pretty much agreeing with him for a while, but that has not uh, that has changed. And, of course, the polls are a little different. This is not a poll-driven uh, president, though. And, Bill, um, I've noticed uh, that you, you have even talked about the fact that President Bush is now quietly advising Hillary Clinton, who's the front-runner among Democrats, saying that she needs to moderate her rhetoric on Iraq because the reality is going to hit if she becomes president. Tell us about that. Well, that was perhaps the most uh, um, startling thing that, that the president and his advisors uh, sort of confided to me was that, you know, on the one hand, the president is hoping and predicting that 
that even though Hillary's going to probably get the nomination, she will lose in the general election to a uh, to a Republican. I think there's a, there's a certain amount of wishful thinking in there and a certain amount of loyalty to his sure. party when he says that. But on the other hand, he's hedging his bets and saying that he is providing back-channel advice to not just Hillary, but the other top-tier presidential uh, candidates on the Democratic side to, to as you say, to, you know, to selling them, look, you've got to build a little bit of wiggle room here in all this anti-war talk because... If you end up sitting in here in the Oval Office where I'm sitting, the world looks a little bit differently than it looks when you're out on the campaign trail making promises that you may or may not be able to keep to pacify the liberal base of the Democratic Party. So he's saying, don't paint yourself into a corner. You may have to keep some troops here in Iraq. In fact, you are going to have to keep a significant number of troops here in Iraq. And you're already seeing Hillary uh, start to express some of that wiggle room, whether it's a direct result of uh, Bush advising her or not. Uh, regardless, we are starting to see evidence out of Hillary's rhetoric. Bill, uh, this president uh, has to leave a legacy. Now, he's not really thinking about that like Bill Clinton was searching around about this time in his presidency. And what do I leave as a legacy to kind of counteract the bad? Mm-hmm. This president has got to to really sort of leave things with regard to national security and the war on terror at a certain point for someone else to take over, not only internationally, but also the apparatus here to fight terror, and he, he's, he seems to be hell-bent on doing that. Well, that's a great point, especially your comparison to Clinton. I remember I covered the last couple of years of the Clinton administration, and he was very much fixated on his legacy, and there were all kinds of stories in the New York Times and the Washington Post about, you know, Bill Clinton telling his friends that he's worried about his legacy, and, you know, gee, the, you know, he, he might never be considered a great president because he never had the chance to... Uh, to really, you know, that, that that great presidents overcome some had to overcome some huge national problem like a, like a major major war or a depression that kind of thing, and that you know that Bill Clinton had presided over peace and prosperity. Well, I happen to think there's a little thing called impeachment that has might have something to do with whether he's considered a great president. But the irony is, here comes this successor, George W. Bush, who never was really looking for a legacy. He was kind of looking to you know, small uh, small stuff and keep his nose clean and keep his head down and kind of get the job done. And these terrible circumstances are thrust upon him, 9-11 and all the rest. And, you know, he stepped up. And, and you know, the history is yet to be written on whether it all is going to come, you know, how it's all going to come out. But I think that Bush has been thrust into contention, at least, for greatness in a way that Bill Clinton never will be. Um, it's far too early to talk about whether Bush will be considered a great president, but I, I think he's definitely in the running um, in the way that uh, Reagan, uh, uh, you know, was savage during his own presidency. And then when I, I remember I went to his funeral here not too long ago in Washington, and the people who were savaging him all those years ago were now saying, well, maybe he was right about, you know, tear down this wall or calling it an evil empire. I think the same thing's going to happen with George W. Bush. Bill, uh, we only have a few seconds left before the break, and um, I hope you can stay with me for the next segment. But can you just uh, explain, uh, at least begin to explain, how President Bush's faith uh, informs his policy in, in the sense that he gets strength to stand up against the attacks from his uh, opponents and from the media? The key word that I came away f- uh, with on that question that I asked Bush and his advisors was serenity. His faith gives him a serenity to, to keep steady in the face of turmoil and all of these, you know, polls and all the negative stuff that gets dumped on your head when you're president, especially a conservative Republican president, that, that his faith gives him that sort of steady, eddy, 
quality that 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 allows him to keep going without sort of you know wildly deviating from his core policies. It seems he does that, and uh, we are talking to Bill Salmon. His new book is The Evangelical President. Uh, it's a fascinating book. It talks about why Bush believes the Republicans will hold the White House in 2008, why the Supreme Court's ruling on the partial birth abortion ban was a victory and a vindication for Bush. So we're going to talk about that uh, in the next segment with Bill Salmon. Stay with us. If you're looking for a college experience that is distinctively Christian, come to Criswell College. Contact us today for information about the upcoming term. Criswell College places a strong emphasis on the Word of God, a Christian worldview, and being an effective witness to a world that needs Jesus Christ. Criswell College is totally committed to the Bible as the authoritative, inspired, and inerrant Word of God to ensure that every student receives a solid biblical and doctrinal foundation. Our worldview approach to ministry prepares every Criswell College student to view each academic discipline through a Christian frame of reference and to engage our culture and the world of ideas from a Christian perspective. Along with this word and worldview emphasis, each Criswell College student gets hands-on ministry training in missions and evangelism to be an effective witness through mission trips at home and abroad. Contact Criswell College today for information about the upcoming term. Call 1-800-899-0012 or on the web go to criswell.edu. That's chriswill.edu. You're listening to Jerry Johnson Live. Now here's Penna Dexter. There is a temptation to manipulate life in ways that do not respect the humanity of the person. When that happens, the most vulnerable among us can be valued for their utility to others instead of their own inherent worth. Well, that covers the pro-life issue from embryonic stem cell research to abortion to assisted suicide and euthanasia. President Bush has always stood for the sanctity of human life. Our guest is Bill Salmon. He's senior White House correspondent for the Washington Examiner. He actually worked for the Washington Times as White House correspondent for eight years. And he's a political analyst for Fox News. He's written several books, all New York Times bestsellers. He's uh, covered the president, and he's had really great access to the president, a great understanding of what makes this man tick. And, Bill, one of the things that does make him tick is a respect for the sanctity of life, isn't it? It really is. And I think, you know, I spent a lot of time listening to uh, conservatives, uh, frankly, complain about this president. And in a lot of cases, the complaints are... Are certainly justified. There are lots of things that uh, that you can find to uh, to differ with uh, the president about. But on pro-life, I think that it doesn't get enough attention. I think that part of Bush's legacy, we were talking about his legacy a moment ago, is going to be not just in foreign policy, but here's a guy who has at least begun to move the Supreme Court and the federal judiciary to the right. And um, that will have ramifications for a generation, uh, long after President Bush has left office 16 months from now. And I think we started to see the beginnings of that uh, change manifest itself when we saw the partial birth abortion decision 
uh, that was handed down by the Supreme Court. It was the first time that the Supreme Court had voted to uh, out to to outlaw a specific type of abortion, and uh, they upheld the federal ban on partial birth abortion. And I spent a chapter on this because I think it's a concrete example of the evangelical president in action. I mean, here's a guy who uh, who I remember. I, I happened to break the story when when Alito was uh, had been nominated and he was about to go up on Capitol Hill, and I got the got a hold of that document that he wrote a couple of decades earlier where he's talking about, I'm a lifelong conservative and there's no uh, justification for abortion in the U.S. Constitution and so forth. And so I broke that in the, at the time I was at the Washington Times, and it caused a huge storm of controversy, and, and Bush still got the guy through. And mm-hmm. I think that's going to have ramifications for many, many years, uh, and, it's, and it's starting to turn the tide on the pro-life issue. Well, it is. And Bill, you know, I, I have heard the same people complaining, pro-lifers wishing that he'd done more or that more had been done to stop abortion. But uh, this was a, a law, this partial birth abortion ban that had been vetoed twice by President Clinton. President Bush not only signed the law, but then he had to, his administration, the full power of it behind it, defending it in three different venues across the country. So it was a huge victory and uh, a huge defeat for the pro-abortion community when this uh, went into law. I mean, yes, there are many more abortions that are still being done, but I think the lasting legacy, as you said, is the appointment of Roberts and Alito, isn't it? It really is, and, and you raise a good point that he had to, you know, not just with a stroke of a pen, you know, uh, uh, pass this law. He passed that law and signed that law when he knew it would immediately be subjected to uh, challenges by various liberal federal judges in various states, and, and of course it was. And he also, at that time, did hadn't hadn't changed the Supreme. He had not uh, made the second appointment to the Supreme Court, so there was no way for him to have uh, guaranteed knowledge ahead of time that the, that the that the chain of events that he set into motion would end up favorably. He just decided it was the right thing to do, and he was going to push forward and kind of you know, roll with it. And sure enough, as the case wound its way through the courts, there was another opening on the Supreme Court, and Bush was able to install a conservative. And for the first time now, you've got four conservatives and four liberals and one swing vote. And you've actually got some balance on the court, or at least the beginnings of balance. And it came at just the right time, and sure enough, they upheld the ban on partial birth abortion. Now, that wouldn't have been done without the faith. You talk about faith. Uh, Bush did that not knowing how it was going to turn out, and it turned out uh, the way he wanted. So would you say that uh, his two lasting legacies, at least as we look at it right now, could be, of course, his two court appointments, and I mean, maybe there could be one more by the end of his, his presidency, and also just beginning this quest to uh, establish freedom and democracy in these Middle Eastern countries that are right now fomenting terror? I think those will be the two biggest components of his lasting legacy. I think the third one, uh, and it's not sort of as profoundly important, but it's still extremely important, was uh, his, his tax cuts, which resulted in a very robust and sustained expansion of the U.S. economy. We have been in an uninterrupted expansion since that very short, very shallow recession Right as uh, Bush, uh, that basically Bush inherited as he came into office. You know, he came into office with the, you know, the the the, the dot com bubble was collapsing, and the stock market was starting to tank, and 
and all that, and and he sort of took that, and then you know nine eleven kind of pushed it into a recession. He's turned that economy around now and got that thing going. Great guns, even though the press never gives him credit for it. So I think those are the three parts of his legacy: the economy, the beginnings of the pro, you know moving the, the not just the Supreme Court but the federal judiciary. He pointed a lot of federal judges uh, that will you know be out there making all kinds mm-hmm. of decisions, uh, important decisions. And then, of course, uh, perhaps uh, most important of all was his fundamental change of U.S. foreign policy. Bill Salmon, uh, thank you so much for joining us. This is a great book. I mean, there's so much more we could talk about. I love the chapter on uh, Dick Cheney's uh, hunting accident, (laughs) how that kind of turned around on the press and made them look stupid. But you've done a great job over the years covering this president, and uh, we appreciate this book. Well, thanks for having me, Penna. That is Bill Salmon, and his book is The Evangelical President, George Bush's Struggle to Spread a Moral Democracy Throughout the World. And, you know, if you look at the Proverbs, you see uh, a lot of uh, words of wisdom there, and you see some advice for leaders and uh, how to get wisdom. It says the fear of the Lord is the foundation for wisdom. And in Proverbs 8, it says, uh, By me kings reign and rulers decree justice. By me princes rule and nobles all the judges of the earth. And it occurs to me that, uh, you know, it's the Lord who is sovereign and in control, and he places people in certain positions. He allows the events to occur in a certain progression. And so we shouldn't be surprised when the right justices were in place so that the partial birth abortion ban, for instance, could be decided the correct way. Uh, you know, Bush maybe didn't know how it was going to play out, but he did what he thought was right. And then the president, uh, the, the, uh, the Lord blessed the president uh, as he made these decisions. I think a president who isn't driven by polls, but is driven by a moral compass and by his faith is a great president. We may not understand uh, that right now or even within a few years, but I think down the line, as Bill Salmon says, we will understand it. Uh, Of course, throughout uh, history, God has used rulers to destroy evil and uh, possibly this is his plan for this president uh, as we deal with Islamofascist terrorism around the world. Only history will tell. Well, ladies and gentlemen, join us tomorrow. We'll have one of our famous Theology Thursdays with Dr. Barry Creamer. You've been listening to Jerry Johnson Live, a Christian worldview radio show. Join Dr. Jerry Johnson, president of Criswell College and Criswell Communications, Monday through Friday at 5 p.m. for an hour of relevant discussion of news and culture from a Christian perspective.